Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. We're going to fulfill a need for speed as we go drag racing in Montana. Explore a working ranch where dinosaurs have been discovered. Learn more about prehistoric Montana from the inner workings of a dino lab. And see what life was like for one of the builders of Montana's largest city, Billings. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and along with my husband, Ian, we're taking a whirlwind tour through northeastern and southeastern Montana. Thanks, dear. On today's World Footprints, we make the first of two pit stops in northeastern Montana as we explore the world of drag racing as we visit the Phillips County Motorsports Drag Strip in Malta, Montana, as we ride down the track and introduce you to the Carnahans, a family bound together by drag racing. So you race my wife's car today. <laughs> I'm borrowing it. Um, yeah, we've been doing this since as long as I can remember, probably seven years old. Yeah. Um, growing up around it, our, our dad actually runs the track here. Our mom runs the tower, running all the computers and everything. Then we'll visit the ranch where some of the most significant dinosaur discoveries have been made just north of Malta and learn how dinosaurs and agritourism are bringing more people to the plains of Montana. We don't see many people here <laughs> who are in kind of a tourist mode. We do host a lot of uh, student trainees, exchange students from other countries. We've hosted 32 students from other countries. From Malta, we'll head south to Billings and take you behind the scenes of the Dino Lab, where the stories of dinosaurs come together fossil by fossil. This is a working fossil preparation lab. Mm-hmm. Seldom do people get to see this aspect. Mm-hmm. I mean, they see they can go on the dig, which we do the digs too, mm-hmm. and then uh, they go away. Finally, we'll take you to the Moss Mansion, the elegant one-time home of one of the most prominent figures in the development of Billings. He built this house way out in the country where there was nothing around. (laughs) Of course, it's turned out to be kind of an extension of downtown. Uh, In fact, the chamber called him the man who built Billings. Mm -hmm. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Our first stop today takes us inside the world of drag racing as we visit the Phillips County Motorsports Drag Strip in Malta, Montana, for some drag racing and introduce you to a family, the Carnahans, who are bound together by racing. But first, let's head to the track for some racing as I ride with Sean Carnahan. There we go. Okay. And this is an old car that me and my dad restored. This is a Chevrolet Chevelle. Chevrolet Chevelle. I'm inside uh, with Sean Carnahan, the Phillips County Motor Speedway, and I'm set to head down the track here uh, inside of this uh, 
Chevrolet uh, Caravelle. Uh, Tanya is on the other side. Uh, she's going to be racing me as well. Right now we're getting the tires warm. It's over. Most important thing is that I've completed this safely with, with Sean. I'm in I'm intact. Tanya's intact. And we can say we've gone drag racing here in Montana. <laughs> she got the Papa Wheelie one here. <laughs> After the race, we caught up with the Carnahan brothers, Sean and Dylan, to get some insight into drag racing and the sport that binds their family together. Hey, all of you Top Gun fans out there. We uh, we actually fulfilled our need for speed today on the drag race course here in um, Malta, Montana. And uh, I got to ride with Rillin Dylan. <laughs> And Ian got to ride with his brother, Sean the Man, and Dylan, I think we won. I think we did, too. <laughs> I think, I think not. Oh, wait. We went too early, remember? <laughs> so, Dylan, I, you know, the, these cars, I mean, um, I know when we were driving, our the front end actually kind of lifted up. We did a wheelie. Yep. Um, take us through kind of some of the preps as you as we entered the, uh, the, the, the track, the line, uh, and what you did. Uh, in some of the mechanics that you shared with me, like the red button and yeah. things that normally uh, nobody would really understand. Yeah. Well, first of all, you get in the car, of course, strap in. You got safety harnesses, helmets, everything. Um, you roll up to the line. You roll through what we call a burnout box with a little water. Put your back tires right through it, and then you sit there and do a big smoky burnout. And what that does is actually gets the tires hot so that they actually stick to the ground. Um, and then after the burnout, you roll into the staging lights, and once you stage the car, you got to light up two bulbs, and then you there's a red button on the shifter, and you punch the button, and you take your foot completely off the brake, and then you put your right foot all the way down on the floor on the throttle, so it's your wide-open throttle, and as soon as that light turns green, you let off that button, and you're going fast. It usually My car usually pulls about a 6- to 8-inch wheelie every time, and it's just a completely different feeling than anything else. Um, you go out, the shift light comes on, you grab second gear, and you go a little further, Third, or the shift light comes on again, you grab third gear, and out the traps, you're, you're done. And slow her down. <laughs> now, uh, Sean, you took me down in uh, the Chevrolet, but we're actually looking at uh, your dragster. It's, uh, it looks like it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that... Uh, might be out of a Star Wars movie. Tell us about this car. Well, the car that I actually drag race, other than my Chevelle that we took down the track, is a 2000 Plymouth Prowler body on a tube chassis Roadster, um, or on a Roadster chassis. Um, it's got a 496 uh, big block Chevy in it with about 800 horsepower. 
Um, it's a little bit like Dylan's car that they rode in together as opposed to going up to the burnout box. With me, I don't have front brakes, so when I do my burnout, I roll through the water, I stomp on it, stomp the throttle to the floor, shift into second while my tires are still burning out, um, and then kind of coast out. I have to back back up to the staging line because I end up going through it completely on during my burnout. Um, this car will go in the eighth mile. We end up going 5.7 seconds about at 120 mile an hour in an eighth of a mile. Um, it also has a parachute on the back because of some of the shutdowns are a little shorter than the others. And I do have rear brakes, but the parachute's just a little extra to slow me down. Um, it's built for speed only, not street legal. <laughs> it doesn't have blinkers. It has fake headlights, and uh, it's a rush, that's for sure. Now, uh, Dylan, I know this is a family affair for the Carnahans. Your brother Chris races, your nephew Caden, your mom, your dad. This really is a way of life for you guys. Actually, yes, it is. And actually, the car that Dylan took me in, he bought for his wife. Oh, my. Yeah, we actually raced my wife's car today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm borrowing it. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been doing this since as long as I can remember, probably seven years old. Yeah, somewhere. Um Growing up around it, our, our dad actually runs the track here. Our mom runs the tower, running all the computers and everything. We've been traveling all over the country doing this forever, and it's just a way of life for us, I guess. Big family affair, though. It's it's fun. Now, uh, Sean, at uh, you know Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, uh, how do you guys really uh, go about settling scores? You know, you're racing all year long, and then you have to get together as a family. Do you say, well, you know, I'm the better racer. I've got more hardware to show for it. How do you settle some of these differences? Basically, it all depends on uh, who made it the furthest during the year. They have the bragging rights. For instance, <laughs> last year, Chris made it to the World Finals. Dylan and I did not, so uh, he had the bragging rights for the whole year. Definitely. We've been talking about it still since that was the end of September last year. We went to Richmond, Virginia for the World Finals for Christopher, um, one of eight people that got to go there for his class. So um, he had the bragging rights. He still does. I Basically this year, he's basically making us all look bad. <laughs> we put almost world champion on his window of his car for him. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, this is a 72 Plymouth Duster, which actually brought back memories for me because my mom used to drive a 70 Duster. So uh, this one's pretty sharp. Yeah. Um, now, now, Dylan, we were talking about you know the, the racing circuit, and the circuit is a circuit quite large. Uh, you know, the drag race circuit, quite large, because you guys don't do this for the money. You do this no. for the love of the yeah. sport. Actually, it's fairly small here in Montana. There's only four operating tracks in the state, um, three of which are actually in what we call the Montana State Points Racing, is what we are doing this weekend here. Um, there's a couple other points series that you, I'm running also. Um, but really, it's I mean, it's, it's been busy. We hold five races here a year. Um, then we travel to Anaconda, um, Lewistown, Billings. Um, and then eventually we get up into Canada to a couple tracks up there. There's one in Swift Current, Medicine Hat. Um, but for the main main thing is, I mean, it's it's not a huge circuit, but it's, it's definitely fun. And like she said, we don't do it for the money. Um, we just do it for the fun and the competitiveness. It's, it's always good. 
heckler, a heckler just wrote by us. Yeah, probably, probably someone you're going to burn on a track yeah. later. Typically. Now, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, NASCAR has come under a little bit of fire, and we're because of safety issues. Talk about some of the safety issues that face this particular sport and how those have been addressed. The safety issues are they're really strict in drag racing. It's all about safety. Um, we have a rule book that lists all the rules in black and white, and we have to abide by all of them. Um, as far as seat belts, um, chassis inspections, um, helmets got to be up to date. Um, our seat belts, we actually change our seat belts every three years um, because they, they may be still good, but they got to be up with the current specs. Um, but safety is number one with us, and if you don't follow the rules, you won't be racing. It's pretty cut and dry. Well, I know the row bars, you know, in the cars, it was like climbing yep. into a space shuttle. So very, very compact, very, very, uh, oof. you have to take yoga, I think, in order to really get into a contort yourself into, into one of these cars. And depending on the speeds that you go in these cars, you almost pretty much have to add bars the faster you go. Um, my car, for instance, is certified for 8.5 seconds, and it's about the norm, but you get into some of these more advanced ET cars, and it's like a, a monkey bars inside there. you got to finagle your way into them, and they're tight-fitting sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> now, Sean, if uh, you had to explain to an outsider what uh, racing life is like because this is a family affair for you and there are a hundred other drivers here this weekend from what I understand and so there's got to be some camaraderie that you build up as you travel from track to track around around the state but uh, what is what is what is that life like here because uh, you get together on the weekend you start uh, you know gathering side bets and uh, you put up money for for uh, for some other racers and so and so there really is a real sense of community out here. There is a big sense of community, especially, you know, we have a small town track here. Uh, I mean, we're in a town of 2,500 people, and when the drag racing comes around, we pull about an average of 90-some cars in this little track in northeastern Montana. Um, for us, we've always been the kids who... Before we could even drive the cars, we were running around talking to all the older racers, looking at their cars, and they will drop everything if they've got a wrench in their hand just to talk to the kids and tell them, you know, what the car is, what it's got, and then answer any questions you have. Now we're getting old enough now. We're all running cars, and we've got the little kids running around all over here. Um, they all look up to us. They love our cars, so we learned from the guys before us that we drop everything. I mean, we're, we got the whole engine to our part. They come running up. We'll stop and tell them what we're doing. And when it comes to the guys next to us at the races, you know, they might be the next guy you run in the finals. And, uh, by the before the day's over you've probably went over and sat in his trailer and talked with him about the day and that's kind of how it all goes everybody it's a big giant family from uh, one end of the track to the other we all know each other um and it's it's all fun and games but we definitely have our we we throw little things on the side there just for fun <laughs> the bragging rights is mostly <laughs> many people talk about uh racing and question whether or not it's a sport, but you guys put a lot of time into it, uh, on and off the track, preparing for everything from safety to car performance. 
you're constantly working on the cars. Whether some people say they don't have to, there you have to. You've got to constantly be looking at everything, going through everything. Um, I mean, it can be as little as changing jets on your carburetor for somebody, but you're gonna be putting time into your car, which is maintenance. maintenance. Um, yeah, you're gonna be double checking everything. That's our workout. I mean, we'll have all of us brothers on one car making sure that it's good and ready to go and then switch to the next one get it all done and fixed um our workout is definitely inside a shop <laughs> and uh then the real workout where we end up losing all the weight is sweating in the cars in our complete fire suits yeah. <laughs> none of the cars have air conditioning but our uh, basically our workout is just preparation with the cars and uh at least 15 20 hours a week could be spent on a car easily getting it ready for the next weekend Dylan, my dear friend, yes. I, I, I got into your car and I said, you know, feel free to break the sound barrier with me, but you held back. But this little puppy can move. What, what did we do and why did you hold back on me? Well, technically the, uh, the track rule says that when they, whenever you have a passenger with you, you can only, on an eighth mile, you can only go eight seconds. Um, my car is capable, actually is capable with the nitrous bottle turned on of going a 670. So I shut the bottle off and we actually went out the traps and I let off the throttle trying to slow it down and we still ended up running a 770. So we technically did break the rules a little bit there. But well, you have an onboard lawyer, so... Yeah. <laughs> That'll yell at him later. <laughs> Well, Sean and Dylan Carnahan, we thank you so much for being with us on World Footprints Radio and making us have a very memorable day here at the Phillips County Motor Speedway. Thank you so much, guys. Hope you guys had fun. Yeah, you guys had a great time. Thank you, guys. Coming up, it's off to the Hammond Ranch outside of Malta to learn about efforts to grow agritourism in Montana and some of the dinosaur fossils recovered right on the ranch. We don't see many people here. Who are in kind of a tourist mode. We do host a lot of uh, student trainees, exchange students from other countries. We've hosted 32 students from other countries. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, I'm Carla Huntsley with Missouri River Country, and I live in Fort Peck, Montana. And I'd like to have you all come out and see what a beautiful state we have. And the northeast corner of Montana is just a wonderful place. And listen to World Footprints Radio. Women, freedom to vote. 72 years. From 1848 to. 1920. Visit Seneca Falls, New York. For more information, Suffrage Wagon News Channel, suffragewagon.org. Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? Packforapurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit packforapurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Don't have the time to give back to the community? No time to socialize or network? 
Then volunteer with One Brick. Volunteer only when it fits your schedule, and then join us for food, drinks, and great conversation afterward. It's a great way to meet new people, have fun, and help the community. Join us at www.onebrick.org. That's www.onebrick.org. One Brick. Volunteering made easy. Visit the Galapagos Islands, meet polar bears in Canada, sip wine in northern Italy, explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht, and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate, small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for Discovery Tours to begin your next adventure today. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors, and industry professionals, from environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr., to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. An anti-trafficking organization in India teaches former sex workers the skills of carpentry and printing. A cooperative in Brazil gives jobs to former forced laborers. And a boy from Ghana who was forced to work in the fishing industry goes back to school. Human traffickers exploit their victims. But by joining forces, we can help the victims rebuild their lives. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking. UNGift.org Did you know that World Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make worldfootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. I'm Courtney Moles. I am with Philco Economic Growth Council in Malta, Montana. I am a transplant from New Orleans, and Montana is a beautiful state. I listen to World Footprints Radio. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Just north of Malta is the Hammond Ranch, where some of the most significant dinosaur fossils discoveries have been made. The Hammond Ranch and others like it across the state are key to the state's initiatives to promote agritourism in Montana. Let's learn how dinosaurs and agritourism are bringing more people to the plains of Montana. From Howard, otherwise known as Howie, Hammond of a Hammond Ranch. Welcome. I'm really glad to take this, have this opportunity. We here at the Hammond Ranch, it's my wife, Joanne, and I have owned the property where we live. You'll drive right by there. It's about five, six miles up the road for 32 years. Uh, it wasn't, a, we're, we consider ourselves first generation of our family on this place. We bought the place in 1979 from an older couple, Hubert and Marjorie Sims, who uh, made it possible and, and actually helped us to be able to, to get started. On our own place and uh, now our youngest daughter and her husband 
are with us on the ranch and they've been there four years. They're actually just getting a new home now this fall on the ranch and we're excited to have them. But as far as tourism and uh, what happens here, we don't see many people here <laughs> who aren't in kind of a tourist mode. We do host a lot of uh, student trainees, exchange students from other countries. We've hosted 32 students from other countries, uh, from 12 different countries over the last probably 25 years. We have another young man that will be coming in October from Belarus and Russia, and, and that will be the first uh, student that we've had from Eastern Europe. But we enjoy that because 10 of the of the 32, 10 of the families have then come back to visit or, or came here. The parents came and visited us while we were here. And that gives us an opportunity to get to know a little bit about the rest of the world. And we actually oftentimes say these young men are here to learn about agriculture and what we do here and the way we do things in Montana. But we learn as much from them as they do from us. It's really quite interesting. Everything from sheep and dairy operations, hogs, uh, horticulture, all kinds of different things that uh, they do in the countries that they come from. And also we have uh, do some hunting uh, with hunters that come in from out of state. Matt has an outfitting business and we've worked with him with some hunters that come here and hunt on the property. We have six hunters that out-of-state hunters that drew on landowner permits this year that will be coming this fall. We did have a fairly tough winter so the deer populations are down and they may be a little disappointed. We hope that they'll have a good time and enjoy being here. But probably the thing that we are most known for is the dinosaurs that have been found in this area and that's one of the reasons I think Linda wanted you to look down at this drainage of Little Cottonwood Creek it's called. Our ranch is on the divide between Little Cottonwood and Big Cottonwood Creek. Big Cottonwood is over that way. Um, a lot of the land is BLM. We're probably 50% of the land that we operate is BLM land. And uh, that's usually the Badlands type of land. Although, as you go up this creek on Little Cottonwood to the north and west, there's a lot of deeded land. And in that land is where the dinosaurs have been found. Uh, Leonardo is the mummy dinosaur that's probably the most famous. Uh, and within about a three mile radius, as we look across this coulee, there's been four dinosaurs that have been excavated and taken out and prepared. And Leonardo is, of course, in, is in Houston right now. I think Peanut and uh, Roberta are in the museum in Malta. So we have, currently there are three dinosaurs that we know of on our property that haven't been dug out. They've been found and parts of them uncovered. Dr. Mary Schweitzer, who is a Helena native, uh, is at North Carolina and she comes out here and does some work with Jack Horner and we invited her and her team of young, they were mainly graduate students to come up for a day and look around and we went out with them and 
And one of the students actually found a, a dinosaur that day that uh, we uncovered. It, it, it hasn't been excavated. It's plastered and sitting there <laughs> looking for somebody that need, wants to do the work, I guess. We have had a lot of people from all over the world, and we've really enjoyed that, that have come to see, come on dinosaur digs, come here to see the dinosaurs, or to just dig around in the hills and find a few teeth and a few bones, which are pretty common. There's a, a BLM point we went by on the curve up there that we see out-of-state plates there quite often where people go and just dig around. There's a bone bed of all mixture of bones. The one thing that's a little bit special about the dinosaurs that they find here is most of them are articulated as they, they lay there all and as they died, their bones are still connected and they they aren't scattered everywhere. They don't need to make a, a map and section everything out and try to put a puzzle together. Typically the dinosaurs are very well preserved. Uh, they tell us that it's probably because of an event like a tsunami or something of that nature that came into this area 77 million years ago and just covered everything up all at once so the scavengers didn't get to the ones that died and that's why the dinosaurs here are, seem to be so well preserved. I don't know how you would know what happened 77 million years ago but <laughs> we've had a lot of different scientists here from you know all many different universities and, and uh, museums and we learn a little bit from all of them and they oftentimes bring teams with them to uh, study whatever. We, we actually had Karen Chin is a Montana paleontologist, and she came here just to study the dinosaur droppings, and I thought that was a little interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's her specialty, though. That's what she does. But I guess they learn a lot from that. Anyway, as far as that part of the uh, what we do here on Hammond Ranch is, you know, we're very far removed from that most of the time outside of getting to know the people and, and giving them the opportunity to look here and dig here. Uh, I think that we, we do host people from all over the world, especially with the trainees. One of the things that they don't understand about our area is that the land we're standing on right now it takes about six acres a month in a normal year to maintain a cow, one cow and her calf. And when we talk about the acreages and the numbers, the size of the places, they really can't fathom that when they come from places that uh, get a lot more rainfall than we do. Some of the Australian people seem to <laughs> understand a little more, but most areas of the world, they don't understand our dry conditions. and. Uh, they're always interested in that and fairly intrigued with it when they come here. Here's Carla Hunsley of Missouri River Country, the organization responsible for promoting tourism in this part of Montana. Well, Howie's kind of oriented you to what you're what you're seeing in the dinosaurs. There's layers and layers of history here. These stones that you see here, and if we were to walk on the other side there, like Courtney and I did a couple days ago, that they're not they're not here on their own. These are stone circles. It's uh, there's a long history of people being here and enjoying and using this landscape. Um, so the, the culture here is rich and deep. And I think 
one thing that that's easy to overlook when you look at this is it all looks so wild and so pristine and so beautiful and what people really need to understand is this during the during the dust bowl was a broken system in a lot of places it's this land it, it's resilient in some ways but you have to take care of it and the ranch families that you see here that have been here for generations actually restored this landscape people want to say oh it's the pristine prairie we have to save it from people it's the ranchers who have put this back together and if you do bird calls at all like i do there's a loggerhead shrike that's down there in those in those junipers that's been calling that's a bird that's going down the tubes in other places there's grasshopper sparrows one of the most abundant birds that are up here that's a bird of concern in a lot of other areas and that's the reason that we have those species here is because of the stewardship of the ranchers who've been here and uh, I think that when we think about tourism and recreation, it's the setting, location, location, location. That comes from agriculture in this, in this county. It comes almost completely from agriculture and their partnership with groups like the Bureau of Land Management and the Natural Resource Conservation Service. There's a Vesper Sparrow just went through there. Kind of a little confused, thought maybe we were a place to sit, but... I guess just as as we think about how to tell the story and and we're also hoping that you all with your background and and where you travel around we're trying to understand more about what our opportunities are for agritourism, geotourism. Here's more from Howie. I can give you a little bit of history as we drive up the road. When you come to these benches in this the flat area in between these creeks every 320 acres of the land that's now tillable or farmed has crops on it or uh, at one time there was a family on every 320 acres when it was homesteaded and uh, of course that isn't enough here in this dry climate wasn't enough for them to sustain a living and and uh, those places were walked away from many of them actually the the people that owned the place that uh, that we bought, their family had a general store at the little town of Lovejoy, which would be up the road about 15 miles from here. And I've seen the abstracts on a lot of that. Much of the land, the homesteads were given to the owner of the general store because they owed money and they couldn't pay him. And they left Montana and went somewhere else to, to try and make a living after a few years of homesteading here. And uh, it is... This is an extremely good year here for us, but you know, through conservation and, and good management practices with our cattle grazing and, and rotations, we've found that we can say sustain a living here on this land where people back in the 1930s thought it wasn't possible that people could live here. It really thought of it more of as, as a desert. And, uh, you know, today it looks really good. The years vary a lot here, but uh, you know, anywhere in eastern Montana, that's what you live with. It's part of it. The people that stay here, I guess, have learned to to love the land. Uh, the one thing I I think I noticed, we have traveled a little and been to other places, and people are always welcome in this area, and and it's probably most of eastern Montana. Because most places where I go in the world, it seems to me like people are a nuisance to each other. They stand in lines, their traffic and everything out here, or 
wherever you go. But when you come here, people are at a premium. We don't get people that stop in and say hello and come and visit us very often. And like Bill was saying before, when you see one of those crossover vehicles driving on the road out south, you know it's from somebody out of the area. <laughs> uh, so, you know, people are at a premium where we live. And we enjoy people who come here to visit, and, and we learn a lot from them. And, and I think it's we have something that once people get here, they, they don't see it many other places in the world. And we're kind of proud to get the opportunity to share it with you. After the break, we'll head south to Montana's trailhead, Billings, Montana's largest city, and take you behind the scenes of the Dino Lab where the stories of the dinosaurs come together fossil by fossil. This is a working fossil preparation lab. Mm-hmm. Seldom do people get to see this aspect. I mean, they see they can go on the dig, which we do the digs too, mm-hmm. and then uh, they go away. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, I'm Carl Mann, Fort Peck, Montana. I'd like to invite you here. It's a beautiful place, hunting, fishing, summer playhouse theater. I'd like you to listen to World Footprints. My father had prostate cancer. My grandfather, two great uncles, died from it. I wish I'd known about the family history, but it just wasn't talked about. My name's Lonnie. I had my prostate removed in May of 1995. And I'm still here. So there is life after prostate cancer. I'm living proof. One thing I would want to share with any man that thinks that he may have prostate cancer is, number one, get it checked. Secondly, you have time after the diagnosis. Read, learn, go talk with your doctor, and make some decisions. Because knowledge is power. It cannot be understated, you know. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men in Michigan. If you've been diagnosed, talk with your health care provider about your options and visit prostatecancerdecision.org today. Sponsored by the Michigan Department of Community Health, the Michigan Cancer Consortium, and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Visit the Galapagos Islands, meet polar bears in Canada, sip wine in northern Italy, explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht, and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate, small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for Discovery Tours to begin your next adventure today. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel, for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, and director Ken Burns, along with other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy initiatives. Travel with us to unique places around the world and join us on our efforts to raise awareness about environmental, conservation, and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Also, visit our interactive and informative website at worldfootprints.com. Did you know that World Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make worldfootprints.com your first stop. 
Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. In Italy, police smash an international human trafficking ring. Officials in India announce over a thousand human traffickers arrested this year, and authorities in Peru charge a man and his wife with trafficking babies to Europeans through the internet. Human traffickers are active all over the world, but by joining forces, we can stop these criminals. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking. UNGift.org. Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. A few years ago, we decided to leave our respective legal practices to live a more purposeful travel life and help others leave positive footprints. World Footprints was born and was quickly recognized for its award-winning journalism. We've covered events from the Olympics to a Titanic expedition, and we've discussed conservation, environmental, and public diplomacy initiatives. Join us for award-winning radio and visit our website worldfootprints.com for daily travel deals and comprehensive travel information. My name's Paul from Billings, Montana, and I'm on a spiritual sojourn here, and I've managed to meet some pretty inspiring people. I'm Ian and Tanya of World Footprints, and I hope you guys can get out of them what I did. Thanks. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. After the excavation of dinosaur bones at places like the Hammond Ranch in Malta, the fossils make their way to laboratories where professional and amateur paleontologists reconstruct them. One such lab you can visit is in Billings, the Dino Lab. Let's go behind the scenes here with stories of the dinosaurs come together fossil by fossil with the Dino Lab's Nate Murphy. Some go to other museums, some smaller insignificant fossils go to uh, to the public uh, but uh, nothing scientifically significant uh, goes into private hands and you'll see plenty of uh, specimens so this is a working fossil preparation lab mm-hmm. seldom do people get to see this aspect I mean they see they can go on the dig which we do the digs too, mm-hmm. and then uh, they go away, and they never see the process in between digging them up and displaying them. And this is what the Dino Lab's all about. Hmm. I'll go turn that radio on. <laughs> Good song. Good song. <laughs> Yeah, what really got me when I did this initially was the percentage. When you talk about how much percent-wise goes into it, I was just mentioning that you said it's like 80% of all the work that goes on to prepare something for display happens in a setting like right. this. And From, that's what impressed me the most. That's right. I mean, 20% of the time is finding the animal and digging it up. The rest is spent here in the laboratory. Hmm. So um, uh, this is a lab. Um, <laughs> Some of the bones here, we're currently working on several sites, but this is our primary site. This is a Jurassic excavation. Montana is not known for its Jurassic dinosaurs, but uh, we have found a treasure trove of new dinosaurs. In fact, one of them you saw at the Great Plains Dinosaur Museum, the Ralph. Mm-hmm. We we excavated that right next to our stegosaurs, which are proving to be totally new animal. Mm. 
Now, um, this quarry that we're working on has uh, at least four individual stegosaurs at different growth rates from uh, adults, subadults, and juveniles. Um, a, a lot of people, even though Stegosaurus is such an iconic dinosaur, we really don't have that much material. Um, the first one was found in the 1870s, and that's at the Smithsonian Institute. Then there's been a couple of others found since then. So this is a, a significant find. What you're looking at here is one of the back plates uh, of uh, Stegosaurus. And um, this groove right here, this notch, is where it attached to the top of the back. One thing that people are not, most people aren't aware of, but kids are, for the most part, when they come through on the tours, it just blows adults away that kids know all everything, you know, and it's, it's really funny. But... Um, these plates were uh, covered with keratin, like our fingernail material, hmm. on both sides. And if you'll notice, the, it, the plates are very vascular, and they've got grooves in them for blood vessels. You can see them all over. And that, that's totally logical because everywhere keratin grows on the body, even ours, has to have a lot of blood supply. So if you smash... I mean, you can bleed really bad once you tear off a fingernail mm -hmm. or you get cut up in the head, you know, or toenails. Well, this this material grew much further than the bone, just like fingernails. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, our, our perception of what this animal looked like may be totally mm -hmm. different than what we've always thought. Where did you find this plate? What region in Montana did you find it? In Central, up near Lewistown, okay. in the foothills of the Little Snowy Mountains. You can uh, uh, go on my website, and uh, it says, Want to Join a Dinosaur Dig? And you can actually view the excavation, ah. see pictures, and, okay, and all. It's and this this plate actually looks. I mean, it, it, in some way it looks art articulated, but then I see all these little grooves with fill in. What what is the substance? It almost looks like sand. It is. It's siltstone. Okay. And, and what's happened here? You notice how thin it is at the top. You know, it's wafer thin. And what happens is that due to pressure mm -hmm. and freezing and thawing, it's literally. Busting it up huh. over 150 million years, it was. It's been trying to bust up the bones, and that's a common thing. Now, with this particular stegosaurus, mm -hmm. how far are you into the recovery of 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 all of the various bones and, and so forth? Well, so far, we have uh, numbered and mapped 570 bones. Okay. Um, in four years. Um, and that represents four individuals so far. But we found another femur, and there's only two femurs uh, to an animal. And so we have five. So we have a fifth individual represented in the quarry. Here is the first evidence, too, of stegosaurs being a herding animal because all the others have been found as individuals. Mm -hmm.
After leaving the Stegosaurus fossils, we headed to the microblast chamber where air and a little bit of baking soda goes a long way in cleaning up fossils. This is the microblast chamber, and in essence, it's a micro sandblasting unit. We use baking soda uh, injected into a high-pressure high dry air stream, and it literally cleans all of the earth off the bones. The, the baking soda is softer than the bones, but it absolutely cleans them perfectly so we can reassemble them. When we return, we'll tour the Moss Mansion, the elegant one-time home of one of the most prominent figures in the development of Billings. He built this house way out in the country where there was nothing around. And of course, it's turned out to be kind of an extension of downtown. Uh, in fact, the chamber called him the man who built Billings. It's next as World Footprints continues. Hi, I'm Tia from Montana, and I love World Footprints Radio. A man is found guilty of trafficking Brazilian women to the UK to make them work as prostitutes. The head of an international trafficking network is jailed in Romania, and three people are sent to prison in America for operating a Mexican baby smuggling ring. Human traffickers trick and deceive their victims, but by joining forces we can bring these criminals to justice. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, director Ken Burns, David Rockefeller Jr., and other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy. Travel with us to unique places around the world. Join us in our efforts to raise awareness about environmental conservation and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Visit our interactive and informative website, worldfootprints.com. Visit the Galapagos Islands, meet polar bears in Canada, sip wine in northern Italy, explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht, and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate, small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for Discovery Tours to begin your next adventure today. An anti-trafficking organization in India teaches former sex workers the skills of carpentry and printing. A cooperative in Brazil gives jobs to former forced laborers. And a boy from Ghana who was forced to work in the fishing industry goes back to school. Human traffickers exploit their victims, but by joining forces we can help the victims rebuild their lives. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking. UNGift.org World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. 
visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? Packforapurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit packforapurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Hi, I'm Aisha from Connecticut via India. And I would encourage you to listen to World Footprints. It's great radio, so do tune in. Thank you. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Preston Boyd Moss came to Billings in 1892 and set out to develop Billings by establishing a bank, a newspaper, and a telephone and utility company. Everything a growing city needs. Inspired by his travels to the great hotels of his time, he built his home, the Moss Mansion, drawing upon places like New York's Waldorf Astoria and Plaza Hotels. Let's go inside with Lou Palmich of the Moss Mansion Historical House. Built in 1903, which I know by D.C. standards is not all that old, but we think it's old, you know, a hundred-year-old house, you know. Um, it was built by P.B. Moss, who was an early-day Billings entrepreneur. He came here with money from Missouri, money that his family had made in the lumber business, and he wanted to invest it in a bank, which he did, but... He could see he was right on the cusp of all the things that a city would need as it developed, such as electricity, wired the house for electricity from the outset, uh, water, um, power, steam heat company, hot water heating company. He had six children and his in-laws, and they all lived in this house. So he had lived on the south side of Billings originally, but then he... He built this house way out in the country where there was nothing around. And, of course, it's turned out to be kind of an extension of downtown. Uh, in fact, the chamber called him the man who built Billings. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people uh, to step over here to the front doors because you would not, as a guest, have come up the main staircase. You would have come through these two sets of double doors see a beautiful vestibule. The, um, the architect who designed this is Hardenberg, who designed the original um, Waldorf Astoria, the Willard in D.C., a long list. If you go to his website, the Dakota in, in uh, New York, um, a long list of public buildings. Very few residences, none west of the Mississippi, and he never saw this house completed. It was too far to travel. But um, in every room, you're welcome to pick up these photos that were taken in 1903 so that he could see his finished work. And then Mr. Moss sent those to him. Um, So you would have come through these double doors. The butler would have taken your coat, and if it were December, put it in one of these heated coat closets, which are on either side. A lot of touches that um, Mr. Moss integrated into the home that are kind of nice. We call this the Moorish Entry. They called it the Moorish Entry. Um, So 
it, when you stand here and the doorways are open, it looks like a bit of a uh, decorator's nightmare, but we call it eclectic, of course. And they would not have had all the doorways open at once. On this floor, every doorway has a double door, pocket doors inside. The wood on this side matches this room. For example, the wood on the other side of this door would be white to match that room. And then portieres, you'll see a drapery rod. Our, a lot of them are rusting because fabrics are one of the first things to deteriorate. Uh, these are actually Kellum runners that were antiques in 1903. Uh, the tiebacks, the crescent, the star, pomegranate horse's tail are all... Uh, things that in the Moorish culture have meaning. Uh, the crescent here again, the symbol of Islamic power, which always people kind of, what? Um, Mr. The Moss men were very into Shriners and men's fraternal organizations like that. Mm -hmm. And this is not in the script. This is my thought that that was the appeal for the decor here. The uh, arch there is modeled after the um, Alhambra in the Royal Palace in Spain. This is the library. Shakespeare in the stained glass. Lots of French touches. You know, in 1903, anything American was really déclassé. Anything European was fabulous. So you see lots of um, little touches, French influence. Partnership desk here that's topped with a water buffalo hide. And two people could sit there and do business. However, this was not Mr. Moss's main place of business. Mrs. Moss was quite a painter, and she did all these smaller paintings. This was done by a favorite artist of theirs, Rollins, and that's Mount Shasta. This leather furniture was originally forest green, but it faded to its natural color. There's a lot about this house that reminds me of a hotel, an old hotel, more than a home, really. Uh, and, and this area, you know how this often, the, the central seating area in, a, in an old hotel with the rooms, in fact, they call these apartments, mm -hmm. and they all had the dressing wash area, area plus like a, a desk mm -hmm. and chairs, and the family did not all sit around together. I think they'd retire mm -hmm. and then uh, follow their own pursuits, mm -hmm. although... Not too much. That room has Edison reproduction light bulbs, and it's always a shock to see how how dim they are and how how you wouldn't do anything that required too much light after dark. Are all of these sconces um, uh, original? Yes. Hmm. Yes. I, I, the light pictures I was saying are one of my favorite features. Originally, I think all of these bulbs were that egg shape, but... Over, or maybe not, because that one over there has that translucent look, too. So maybe they were round, but they were this look, you know, the kind of frosty. I can certainly see a resemblance with the building. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, this room, actually, in this space. There's not necessarily a seating, but I think that the decor itself is mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today in Big Sky Country. We hope you enjoyed our swing through eastern Montana. If you want more of World Footprints Radio, including our World Footprints Travel Report, giving you the latest breaking travel news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. And while there, explore our new discovery tours for journeys of a lifetime 
to some remarkable places on the planet. And of course, sign up for our newsletter and follow us on your favorite social network. We're Tanya Nian Fitzpatrick, and we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps. There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of World Footprints Media, all rights reserved.